today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Display your faith, displaying your hope for Christ as a testimony for all of the world to see, yes, even those that are persecuting, those that come against the faith. When we live our faith to the uttermost, even under times of persecution, and I believe in particular during those times of persecution, when we continue to live as Christ would have us live, the testimony of our lives becomes a glaring declaration that there is a God in heaven and the truth of his work moving within our lives. As believers, we can expect persecution, especially as we approach the end times. We will begin to experience more and more outright oppression. This doesn't sound appealing. No one looks forward to pain or mistreatment. But as believers, we can take a very different perspective. Pastor David encourages us to see persecution as an opportunity to display the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It may be met with animosity, but there is a chance that the light of your Savior will pierce the hardened heart of your oppressor. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, End Times Preparation. Good grief. Remember that phrase? When Charles Schultz, I don't know if he invented that phrase for his character Charlie Brown in the comic strip Peanuts or not. I don't know if it was uh, unique to him, but it, it certainly became kind of the phrase for Charlie Brown. It seemed like everything that happened to poor Charlie Brown ended up in a, oh, good grief. Well, a discussion that I had years ago with a good friend of mine, who was a believer, and we were both uh, working in construction together, and uh, we got uh, talking about good grief. What? There's no such thing as good grief. And yet, my friend, I, I have to give him credit, because who knows, he may listen to this sometime. Uh, actually, Ted Goodnow, he's a pastor down in southern Arizona right now. He said, yes, there, there is good grief. It was the cross the cross of Christ that was good grief. Grief for Christ, but good for us. It's what I also speak about is severe mercy. Severe on Christ, but merciful for us. Well, Jesus understands that the grief of the cross is very soon to take place within his life. As we look at Luke 21 this morning, we've been going through the gospel according to Luke, and we're at a point in time in the ministry of Christ that the end of his earthly ministry isn't counted in years or 
months or even weeks. Now it's counted in days, if, if not hours. And again, as this comes more and more to the end of his earthly ministry, the importance of the truths that Jesus is sharing with his disciples can't be overstated. Now he, he spoke truth and the things that he shared with his disciples all through his ministry were, were vastly important. But when we get to these final things that he teaches and shares with his disciples, I think that again, these are well worth our time to investigate even more thoroughly, uh, more, more completely, and, and trying to figure out, okay, Lord, as you speak to your disciples then, what are you speaking to us here today? Jesus spoke to his disciples in these last days of his earthly ministry about the last days, about the end of times, about the signs and the events of the end times. And again, we are in Luke chapter 21. I invite you to turn there uh, with me if you would. Last time we looked through Luke 21 verses 7 through 13, and even though verse 13 wasn't really the end of the conversation, it was a good break point for us, and that's where we ended last time. So in order to keep the continuity of what he's teaching, we're going to back up just a couple of verses before we press forward. Now again, Jesus had just finished telling his disciples in verses 9 through 11 of Luke 21 that there were going to be wars, there were going to be earthquakes, there were going to be famines, pestilences, all kinds of things, even great signs in the heavens. But again, as he shared those things with them, it was not necessarily the signs of the end times. These things, as we shared last week, uh, are happening and, and have continued to happen, even before Christ, uh, Christ's words to his disciples, even before his earthly ministry. There were wars, there were famines, there were earthly pestilences. There are all of these things going on. When Jesus shared these things with them, he told them, man, these are just the beginning of sorrows. In other words, this is just a small taste of what the end times is really going to be like. So if we were to back up to verse 12, he tells them that before the end time comes, verse 12, that they, the, 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 that they will lay hands on you and they'll persecute you. In other words, those who are enemies of the cross, enemies of the message of Christianity, enemies of the kingdom of God. They'll lay hands on you. They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion of testimony, as an occasion of testimony. Don't lose that reality and that truth there, folks. He was warning them, just as he warns you and I also, that times of persecution will always be upon those who name the name that is above every name as their Lord and Savior. He also encourages all of us that, that those times of persecution are going to turn out to be times to clearly to be able to live out your faith in, in a really positive 
and a true way. Display your faith, displaying your hope for Christ as a testimony for all of the world to see, yes, even those that are persecuting, those that come against the faith. When we live our faith to the uttermost, even under times of persecution, and I believe in particular during those times of persecution, when we continue to live as Christ would have us live, the testimony of our lives becomes a glaring declaration that there is a God in heaven and the truth of his work moving within our lives. This is where we left off last time, so let me reinforce the fact that the great importance in understanding that persecution can and should be an opportunity for you and I to share our faith. Now, we live in a country where we, we don't see that much persecution. There, there is a little, there is definitely a press coming against Christianity, and it's getting more and more than it was decades, even, ago, even a few years ago. But again, we don't see the kind of persecution that's being shown and demonstrated all around the world. We've been covered for a season with that, but I believe it's going to be changing. And the more persecution, the more press comes against our Christian faith, it's more of an opportunity for you and I to be able to share the truth of that faith to the lost world that's around us. It really all depends upon the perspective in reference to the persecution that you and I have within our lives. When we look at persecution as a, as, as a personal attack, an affront on our character, on our personality, when we're gonna struggle every time Every time there's any kind of pushback on our Christianity, every time someone says anything about our faith, when we take it personal, then, oh, you know, we're going to go nuts and we're not going to know how to handle it at that point in time because we have the wrong perspective. But if we grow in the correct perspective, then we're going to come to understand just as the Apostle Paul came to understand on that road to Damascus, that when we, when we are persecuted as Christians, it's actually an attack on our Lord Jesus. That those who come against Christians are actually attacking Christ in us. And beloved, that ought to change how we respond to persecution. It's not a personal attack. It's not about you. It is much greater than you. There's a much greater thing that's taking place at this point in time. Again, our response ought to be quite different. So we see when persecution comes because of our faith, because of our stand in Christ, again, we need to see that those that are bringing that persecution actually attacking Christ and attacking the message of the cross. Most importantly, though, we need to see that those that are bringing that kind of an attack against the message of the cross, against Jesus, you and I need to see that those that are doing that, they are standing before you and I completely and eternally lost. Now do you realize how important it is for it to be an opportunity for our testimony when persecution comes? It's a non-believer that comes to you and I and pushes and attacks our faith. And suddenly when we realize, man, the reason they're attacking this is because they don't have it. They don't understand it. They've never received it. 
And so now it becomes a great opportunity for you and I to get out of our personal little pity party, wah, he's you know, coming against me because I'm a Christian, and realize, no, maybe God has put you right there to be able to speak the truth in a loving and a caring way, even against those that come against you. Is that easy? Absolutely not. But it is an opportunity to witness. It's an opportunity to share your faith more fervently. But don't get me wrong, I fully understand persecution and and trials of any sort. They're unpleasant and sometimes they're even life-threatening. And I believe, again, once we get beyond our our Western culture, we see that life-threatening issue much, much more than we see it here. But there is a much bigger picture going on here than just you and me. This is a kingdom battle that's happening, and you just, you and I, we just happen to be in the middle of the battleground, okay? We're, We're just there in the middle of it. But the battle is a huge one. You never know when it's gonna happen, nor do you know all the underlying causes of that persecution. Why is someone persecuting you because of your faith? Maybe because in their life sometime in the past, they were greatly disappointed in the church. Maybe they were greatly disappointed by another believer. Maybe they felt that God let them down. And now here, God is giving you a chance to live out the truth of Christianity before a lost and dying world in a real and a very uh, important way. That's why Jesus tells his disciples here, Luke 21, down in verse 14. Look what he says. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. That's what he's saying. He says, when the time comes. He'll give you the words to speak, and I believe he will also give you an insight, an understanding of the situation. And I'm going to share more about this a little bit later. We're going to kind of skip that. We're going to lay it over here on the table for a moment, okay? Let it stew a little bit, what I've just shared with you, and then we'll, we'll bring it back in a moment. But let's move on right here. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus warns them further. He says, you're going to be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they'll put some of you to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. The betrayal by parents and other family members that within our culture, that's not that big of a deal. It's, nor does it always happen. I mean, sometimes our parents, sometimes our, our families, our believers, we come through a long heritage of believers. So that's not always going to happen, but it has happened, beloved, through the years, enough times and intensely enough that it gives great credence to the words of Christ at this point as he's sharing with his disciples. Early on, man, from the very beginning, persecution came to those who were followers of Jesus Christ. For the next two or three hundred years, persecution from the Jews and then from the Romans came upon the Christians, even to the point that the Christians were having to meet in caves underground, secretly meet within the Roman Empire in order to be able to have fellowship, in order to be able to study the words of the apostles, in order to pray together. Why? Because the persecution was so severe on them. And you know what? Parents and family members who were still pagans 
who were still following after all the Roman plethora of gods that they had and worshiping the Caesars, they would turn in family members because they felt that they were doing the Roman Empire a good deed. Oh, my son, he and his family, they've become Christians. My, my, my parents, they've, they've become Christians and I know where they are. We need to take care of that. Why? Because that's going to lead to the downfall of the Roman Empire. We don't want the Roman Empire to fail, do we? So we need to turn in these Christians that seem to be turning completely away from all that we know, all that we hold dear. So again, that that persecution as well as those that were turning in children, children turning in parents, family members and friends turning in each other. Why? Because they felt that they were doing the current culture and the current system of religion or government a favor by doing that. Now fast forward on to today. And there's been persecution for the last 2,000 years. Let's not forget that. But even today, throughout the world, family members are stoning other family members or turning them into the authorities for being an active Christian. We don't see that in our culture. But beloved, it is happening all over this world, and even today as we sit comfortably here throughout not only the Islamic-controlled countries of the Middle East, but you can look at countries like North Korea and India and Somalia and the Sudan and Nigeria and a host of others where either Christianity is outlawed by the government or some other religion or belief system is so strong and the hatred for Christianity is so severe and so deep that people will turn in their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers. Why? Because the hatred of Christ and the things of Christ is so deep within that culture. So how does that fit with what Jesus said there in verse 18? Hey, but don't worry, not a, not, a, not a hair on your head shall be lost. Uh, by your patience, possess your souls. I believe we have to look that uh, again with, uh, with clear understanding. I believe that that statement speaks of God's sovereign control over all of the acts of his creation, as well as the fact that whatever the loss due to any kind of persecution that we have in this realm It is not and it cannot take away our salvation. It's only on this realm. And beloved, what do we have here? 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years? But we have have eternity that sets before us. And again, it's been a long, long time since I've shared this and just came to me, it's not on my notes. So rather this of the Lord or this is me, we we can determine in a few weeks. But... uh, We need to understand, God is not nearly as concerned about your personal comfort as you are. God is much more concerned about your eternal status. And if that means persecution, if that means trials, if that means uh, 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 incarceration, if that means sicknesses, if that means, you know, a whole list of stuff that you and I say, oh, I don't want to go through that. If God loved me, he wouldn't take me through that. Again, understand, God is much more concerned about your eternal standing than he is about your current comfort. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Warren Wiersbe speaks about this idea of the hair on the head, not a hair on the head shall be lost. He says, knowing this, 
that it will not perish apart from his sovereign will. Apart from his sovereign will. It's the work of God. A lot of Christians today, we enjoy freedom from official persecution. We even enjoy uh, freedom from family opposition. But there are so many others who suffer greatly for their faith. And what our Lord says here should be an encouragement even to them that God is in control, yes, even in the midst of persecution and trials that come our way. As I shared with you in some earlier studies, the words given by Jesus at this time, they're a, a mix of statements dealing with a variety of times, a variety of situations. Some of them deal with the end of the age. Some of them deal with his return to reign and rule. Others deal with the coming fall of Israel to the Romans. Now, again, here in verses 20 through 24, Jesus is dealing directly with the imminent fall of Jerusalem that took place in 70 AD. Look at what he says here in verses 20 through 24. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And beloved, that's exactly what happened when 70 AD Titus and his armies came in and literally sacked all of Jerusalem at that time tore it apart and tore it down. The flames that began there on the Temple Mount spread throughout the city. And again, all the destruction that was there, it was again uh, 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 Josephus that tells us in his writings, the Jewish historian of the time, he says that 1.1 million people were killed throughout Israel during that siege. Now, a lot of people say, no, that's way too high of a number. There's no way that that could be. Well, be that as it may be, the enormity of the people that were slaughtered by the Romans there cannot be doubted. And also, 97,000 of them were taken into captivity. Josephus also tells us that there was nothing left in that city to make those that came to that region believe that this town had ever been inhabited. That's how complete the destruction of Jerusalem was by the Roman soldiers there in 70 AD. All of this being trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, what is this times of the Gentiles? The Apostle Paul speaks of a very similar time frame in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, when he says that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, God has a reason and a purpose at this point in time, to have the eyes of the Jews blinded to an understanding of the gospel until the times of the Gentiles is completed. And that's what we're in right now, folks. We are in the times of the Gentiles. We read about this time. We read about this destruction. We read about this devastation 
through for all of Israel, both Old Testament and New. We read it in passages in Ezekiel. We read it in passages in the book of Daniel, all of them speaking of the fall, the desecration of Jerusalem and the temple and the trampling of the Gentiles until Christ's second coming is about to happen. That's why Jesus tells his disciples back here in Luke 21, in beginning in verse 25, he says, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.